Have you ever been to a city with a giant waterfall in the city center? If not, you should definitely head over to Rochester, New York. Grab a seat and a beer at Genesee Brewing Company with patio views of High Falls. Might I suggest the Orange Honey Cream Ale? My absolute favorite. No joking there. Rochester, however, is also known for the George Eastman Museum. George Eastman, the co-founder of the Kodak Company, whose mansion was open to the public in 1949. And it's the oldest photography museum in the world. Rochester Public Market. It's been around since 1905. Has everything. Sells everything. But Rochester is also known for its food, its craft beer, um, its wine scene. And let's not forget the proximity to Seneca Lake wine region. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And I recommend you reading our travel guides on Road Trip Ontario and the Thought Card for more. You can find the links in the episode description. But what I wasn't expecting was all the history involving human rights, specifically the women's suffrage movement. This small city in upstate New York has made a ripple effect throughout North America. One of the key players in the women's suffrage movement is Susan B. Anthony, who played an important role in changing the laws, allowing women the right to vote. There's so much about Susan B. Anthony that people think they know. Uh, and so much about Susan B. Anthony that they don't know. And the reality is right now, we're learning so much about women's history in the 19th century that's just being uncovered and discovered. You know, we're looking at it from different perspectives, from different people, from different um, aspects, and people are finding shoeboxes and things in their attic. Uh, I'm finding writings where it's changing our perspective, it, we're adjusting our perspective, we're waking up to things. So it, it, to me, that's really, really exciting. That's Deborah Hughes president and CEO of the National Landmark Susan B. Anthony Museum and House. She's joining us to share insights into Susan B. Anthony's life and impact. It's worth noting that despite Susan B. Anthony's death occurring 14 years before the 19th Amendment in the United States, her legacy played an important role in securing women's right to vote. Today, we owe our ability to vote to the tireless efforts of women like Susan B. Anthony, who dedicated their lives to the women's suffrage movement. It is important to acknowledge the deep roots that this movement has in Rochester, New York, and the impact it has had on our society. Bags packed. Mirrors adjusted. GPS set. We're road trip ready. I'm Chris. And I'm Danielle. We're two road trip enthusiasts collectively clocking in hundreds of miles. Or kilometers. A year exploring the U.S. and Canada. Now, if you love discovering new destinations. And hidden gems. The best kept secrets locals cherish. And ways to make your road trips more enjoyable. And affordable. You're in the right place. Time to shift into drive and get you road trip ready. Susan B. Anthony's life work was about moving towards equity. She was born during a time when... In New York State, a woman who was married couldn't own property in her own name. Jane Doe gets married to Fred Smith, and now she's Mrs. Fred Smith. Actually, that's because Jane Doe no longer legally existed once she was married. She was now a part of his property, um, and she, as a person, could no longer sign a contract 
She couldn't rent a space. She couldn't open a bank account. If she received any wages or earned anything, it was his. Um, any children that she bore were also his legally. And that's such a different world than we think of now. Susan B. Anthony is well known for her involvement in the women's suffrage movement. However, there are important aspects of her life that contributed to her becoming an organizer and an activist. Despite the fact that it was uncommon for women to speak out on social injustices at the time, she also traveled throughout New York State, addressing local communities on ways to tackle these issues. Her first cause was actually temperance. And some people, you know, the, the idea that you shouldn't uh, imbibe distilled spirits. And we think that was really grounded in what she saw around her. In the 19th century, people were drinking themselves to death, cirrhosis of the liver at the 30s. Um, now think if you're a married woman and you've got a husband who is uh, going into poverty and uh, and actually legally in some places could indenture your not yet conceived children to pay his bar bill. And if you need to leave that domestic violence situation, and we know often with substance abuse, it just accentuates any domestic violence. Uh, you can't because you can't even go rent an apartment and you can't take the children with you because they're not yours, they're his. So when we think about that context, for Susan B. Anthony, temperance was an issue um, and opportunity, seeing people trapped in conditions um, that were untenable situations. During that time, whiskey and rum were used as payment, which made her battle tricky. All this to say, the temperance movement radicalized her. She was an organizer. We think of her as an icon and a speaker, um, and she certainly became that. She was she and Queen Victoria were the two most recognized women in the world in 1900. But what she really understood herself was as an organizer. It was about going into local communities and encouraging women and men there to think about what's the injustice in your area and how are you going to work to change. She goes to this meeting for temperance where the daughters of temperance are meeting with the sons of temperance because they didn't want to intermix. They called it a promiscuous assembly if you had men and women and you couldn't have women speak. And she had a some ideas. And she raised her hand and the fellow chairing the meeting basically said, the women are here to listen and learn, but certainly not to be heard from. Here's Susan B. Anthony trying to change the world around a justice issue. And she's shut down. Well, she and seven other women get up and walk out. And that was part of her awakening to, if I can't have a voice, how can I do what I feel called to do in the world? And uh, we then see her, uh, she is dealing with pay inequities. Uh, as a teacher, she was trained to be a teacher, and she starts teaching in her teenage year, where women are paid a quarter for every dollar a man is paid. So she deals with pay equity issues early on and feels that this is unjust and unfair. And if a woman can't, she says, have a purse of her own, how can she possibly be able to have a life, liberty, and happiness if she can't make those choices? So she becomes a big advocate for labor um, and for pay equity. Part of her family is very engaged with uh, ending slavery. She was a Quaker. Part of that Quaker understanding is every person has the light of God within them, whether they're male or female, uh, any lesser rank. But the Quakers were having a debate in the 19th century. Many felt that you could have a Quaker community and you needed to separate it from all the ills of capitalism and uh, the, the sin of the world around you, and that's how you could build a beloved community. Other Quakers were saying, we're surrounded by this institution of slavery, and it's horrific, and we can't isolate ourselves from it. We have to be a part of ending it. And they split. 
Um, and Susan B. Anthony's family was a part of those who said, this is our calling to work for. Her father was very much committed. Um, he was one of the early supporters of Frederick Douglass's newspaper. And we've got a copy of a letter he wrote to solicit funds from other people saying, this, you got to get behind this. That's where Susan B. Anthony met Frederick Douglass, was at the Anthony Farm here in Rochester when she came taking a break from, from teaching. To recap, she's advocating for protecting women and children, labor and pay equity, and ending slavery. Overall, when Susan B. Anthony saw something that wasn't right, she was compelled to respond to it. However, meeting Elizabeth Cady Stanton put her on the path to focusing on the women's suffrage movement. It's a friendship that changed the world. On the museum's second floor, which is really cool, uh, you can see the headquarters. Um, it's like an attic room covered in dark wood paneling and has a few windows with some light like beaming in and there's two desks set up facing each other like it reminds me of a command center uh with big wooden desks and shelves all over with books and typewriters and papers all over the place as they're pumping out articles and pumping out information and notes to share about what's going on with the suffrage movement. Rochester, New York celebrates two historic human rights icons from the same period, Susan B. Anthony and Frederick Douglass. Frederick Douglass was an abolitionist who became the most important leader of the movement for African-American civil rights in the 19th century. You can find the Let's Have Tea sculpture right around the corner from the museum. It was inspired because on several occasions, Susan B. Anthony and Frederick Douglass would get together and have tea and talk about human rights issues and ways to move things forward. However, they had one important debate. If you can imagine just after the Civil War, there's the Reconstruction Amendments, and an organization is formed. Frederick Douglass and Susan B. Anthony are both a part of it. Um, Harriet Tubman and others are also part, and it's called the American Equal Rights Association. And they basically agree that while there's been a women's rights movement um, and there's been a movement to give the vote to black men, because remember, at this point, people aren't even imagining the vote going to any women, that they should unite together to get the vote for the two largest groups that aren't being empowered with the vote for black men and for women, which for Susan B. Anthony, the evidence really is that she means all women um, in that context. The Equal Rights Amendment adopts this. They send a wonderful memorial, a letter to Congress saying, this is what we're going to do. This is this is what's going to make it right. This is how the United States can become truly a union, not that in fact, not a sham. Shortly thereafter, a couple of the white leaders come to Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth K. Stanton and ask them to do a petition campaign for New York State to give black men the right to vote. And Susan's appalled. She's like, they just formed this union and already they're splitting it. But as the gentlemen say, well, it's going to take a lot longer to get women the right to vote. We can get black men the right to vote now. There's a paraphrase. It's often depicted as a quote. She says that she wouldn't, she's not going to do either or. She's really, really disappointed. Um, by the time she and Frederick Douglass have this great debate, which is really worth people reading. It's at the American Equal Rights Convention. And um, at this point, now they're pushing forth the 15th Amendment. And the 15th Amendment says that no male person can be prevented from voting on the basis of prior servitude or color. And it's the first time that male is introduced into the U.S. Constitution besides just pronouns. So Anthony says, not only is does this mean we're splitting up, we're, we're compromising already too much, but we're actually creating a barrier by adding male into the Constitution. And she basically says, I, I'm not opposed to the 
to the 15th Amendment because it gives black men the right to vote. I'm all for that. But it does create a situation where now black women will be subservient to black men by status and stature. And I'm totally opposed to that. Are there no black women? Totally opposed to that and this amendment. But Frederick Douglass's argument is, um, if you understand racism in this country, if black men don't get the right to vote, this is a matter of life and death. So neither of them want either group to get the vote before the other. But they do disagree on the strategy. They're both universal suffragists. They both think everyone should have access to the ballot box. And Douglas is consistent about that. What they disagree on is whether this strategy of giving black men the vote now is going to be helpful or not in the long run. And Douglas years later says, if I had known it would take so long to bring a woman along behind me. After her death, Susan B. Anthony has been honored in many ways, including having several stamps issued in her name, being the first female to appear on a U.S. dollar coin, and having several biographies written about her. So it used to be people would go and leave a rose, um, often a yellow rose, because that was a um, symbol of the suffrage movement. And that's been happening for decades. Um, the big year was 2016. That's for the first time a woman was on the ballot. Uh, and uh, over 10,000 people went to the gravesite um, and put their I voted today sticker. That's the idea that because you know, Susan would want you to be voting. Um, it's not about her. It's about being engaged in the process. And so um, and we had people send us their stickers from other states and ask us to put them on the gravesite. At that point, um, Mount Hope Cemetery was concerned about the damage that the stickers were doing. Um, so they actually encased them. So from the 2016 election, all those stickers that people put on the gravesite are a part of that plexiglass uh, artifact. And um, that continues to happen. That day, people were there before dawn um, and stayed there after the election results had been called. People were still standing in line out in the rain to be able to put their sticker onto onto that headstone. Uh, so it's a it's a powerful tribute. As you wrap up this episode, remember you have the right to vote. So exercise it, damn it. There was a time when people couldn't. Don't forget to visit the National Landmark Susan B. Anthony Museum and House. Just so you know, there are two buildings right beside each other, and if you're facing it. The building on your right is the visitor center, but to the left is the actual museum. That's the actual house. That's where the tour actually takes place. And, and just for the record, it was actually Susan B. Anthony's sister's house. So just so you know, and the reason why I'm saying this is because while we're waiting for our tour, we saw cars drive by and take pictures of the wrong house. So I just want you guys to know that. Lastly, while you're checking out the museum, we have some amazing Rochester articles and additional podcast episodes on the Thought Card and Road Trip Ontario with some of the amazing things to do and attractions Rochester has to offer. 